On Friday, I was running some errands, and at one of the stores, I started talking with a, a lady, and we were talking about the Easter weekend. And in the middle of the conversation, I asked her, do you think that Jesus was a real person who was really raised from the dead? And she thought about it for just a second. She said, you know, I'm not sure. But then she made it clear that she didn't want to talk about it anymore by saying there are two things that she didn't talk about, religion and politics. But I think that's what we should be talking about today. I mean, not politics. Nobody should ever talk about politics. But (laughs) those two questions are the most relevant questions on Easter weekend. Was Jesus a real person? And history books outside of the Bible tell us that Jesus of Nazareth was definitely a real person. In fact, after you die, there'll be more evidence that Jesus existed than that you exist. But was he really raised from the dead? That's the question I want to answer today. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will help us do that. If you have a Bible, open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Isaiah chapter 53 prophesied that a leader would be given to Israel. To save them, not by military might or political power, but by that leader suffering. So when Jesus died on a hill outside of Jerusalem, he wasn't just killed. He was accomplishing God's plan from the beginning of time. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Then it says he was buried. After Jesus died, two secret disciples went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked for Jesus' body, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They wrapped Jesus' body in cloth and laid him in a tomb that Joseph owned. That's what the scripture tells us. But there have been people throughout history who have said that's actually not what happened. That what happened to Jesus was he died and then they took his body and they threw it in a garbage dump, which was also outside the gates of Jerusalem, because that's what they normally did with criminals who were crucified. But a couple of reasons we know that that theory isn't actually correct, because it was not a good thing for any government, whether it was the Jewish government or the Roman government, for there to be rumors of resurrection. Jesus had a very committed core group of disciples. And when the resurrection got in their hands, it spread like wildfire. So if these governing authorities could have easily said, no, he was never laid to rest in a tomb. We just threw his body in the garbage and we can go and get it for you. Or this is what happened. They could have easily squashed the resurrection rumors. But we know from the scripture in the book of Acts that these government authorities, both Jewish and Roman, had multiple opportunities to say that. And yet they didn't. Because Christ was buried. And then it says that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Psalm chapter 16 verse 10 says that God would not let his holy one see decay. 
And when the disciples began to preach their very first messages about the resurrection, they reached back to that verse in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, to prove that not only had Jesus' death been a part of God's plan from the beginning of time, so had his resurrection. But what's the evidence? If we were a jury, we've made the opening statements. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. Now it's time for the eyewitnesses. And Paul gives us a few eyewitnesses to the resurrection. You see them listed here. It starts with Cephas. Then he appeared to Cephas. We know him by his more common name, Peter. Peter was not actually the first person to see Jesus alive. That was a small group of women, faithful, committed disciples who went early that morning, that first Easter morning, and discovered that the tomb was empty. But Peter is listed first here because at the time that Paul is writing this, Peter is the undisputed leader of Christianity. He's the pastor of the whole thing. He's the one everyone is looking to. And so as the leader, as one of the first ones there, they wanted to say Peter didn't just ascend to this position of leadership because he was a good leader, because he had read some leadership books. He was actually an eyewitness to the resurrection. And we know that something significant had happened in Peter's life because he was changed. When I was in college, I worked in the intramural department at my university. I had two main responsibilities. The first one was to referee games, volleyball games, basketball games, flag football games. The second responsibility was uh, to sit in the game room where they have the pool table and the ping pong tables and check people in and make sure their IDs match their faces. It wasn't rocket science, but I don't want to brag. I was pretty good at it. The reason I know I was good at it is because I got promoted between semester one and semester two. But if you only knew me in the intramural department, and that was the only time that you knew me, you would say those were two different people. Semester one Curtis and semester two Curtis could not be the same person because in semester one, I was a committed employee. I came early. I asked for more hours. I wanted to work as much as possible. I made sure I did my job. Semester two Curtis, not such a good employee. I would find replacements to go and referee games for me. I would find replacements to sit in the game room. And I was actually asking for less hours, not more hours. Because something significant happened to me in between semester one and semester two. I met my wife, Amanda. And I didn't want to be sitting in that game room. I wanted to be visiting her here in Texas. I didn't want to be refereeing games. I wanted to be talking to her on the phone. And we see that same change in Peter. Semester one, Peter was a bold and brash disciple. But often when he would speak, he would get it wrong. He would misunderstand what Jesus was saying. Semester one, Peter was given an opportunity to boldly proclaim that he was a follower of Jesus. But you remember he said, I don't know who that is. God gave him another opportunity. And he said, no, for real, I I don't know who Jesus is. And, And then a third opportunity God gave him And Peter said, literally in the scripture, I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. But semester two, Peter, totally a different person. In fact, semester two, Peter stands before the exact same people who sentenced Jesus to death. He's given that same opportunity to say, are you a follower of Jesus? And he says, no, more than that. I'm willing to give my life if if that's what it takes. And what was the significant thing that happened in between semester one and semester two? He was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. The next group listed to come and testify before us today is the 12. That was the original 12 disciples. Really, it was 11 because Judas had betrayed Jesus and he's no longer with the disciples. 
after Jesus was crucified, the 12, they huddled up in a room and locked themselves in it because they were convinced the same people who had murdered Jesus were after them next. Jesus was the leader. They were the main followers. So they're coming for them next. So they locked themselves into this room and the night of the resurrection, Jesus appears in the room. He doesn't use the door. He just literally appears in the room. One of the disciples was not there, Thomas. So you can imagine what it was like before uh, when he got there and they said, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus came in into the room. You should not have gone to use the bathroom. Like you should have been, <laughs> you should have been in here. But Thomas said, after the weekend that I've had, we've all had, I, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it with my own eyes and I'm able to take my hands and put them into the wounds of Jesus. That's the only way that I believe it later on. In that same room, Jesus appears again and he immediately addresses Thomas. He says, you wanted to see, here I am. Come and put your hands in my wounds. But Thomas doesn't need to do that. The scripture says that he falls down on his knees and he declares to Jesus, my savior and my God. And Thomas was so convinced that he had seen the resurrected Lord that night that later on in his life, he got on a boat, sailed to India, And history tells us he's one of the very first people to say the name of Jesus out loud in that place. He appeared to Peter, to the 12, then to the 500 at one time. So Jesus appears to a large group of people. And the apostle Paul, he says to the Corinthians, most of these 500 are still alive. Some of them have died. Some of them have fallen asleep, but most are still alive. That's Paul's way of saying, if you don't believe me, if you don't want to take my word for it, then just go and find these people yourself because they're still alive. Ask them yourself if they were eyewitnesses and, and they will tell you. Obviously, we can't ask these 500 today, but if we could, I think they would help silence some of the resurrection alternatives that have been lobbied out over history. Like, for example, there's the swoon theory. The swoon theory is the idea that Jesus really never did die on the cross. He just almost died. They thought he was dead. And so when he got down off the cross, he recuperated for a few days and then he started making appearances and everyone said, well, he's been resurrected. Here's a few reasons why that hasn't caught a lot of traction. First, because the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus, they were professional killers. They had crucified hundreds of people on that very same hill outside of Jerusalem. Maybe thousands. Hundreds of thousands of people were crucified in the Roman Empire. Also, we know that Pilate, the Roman governor, who was the ultimate go on the crucifixion, he didn't want Jesus to die. The religious leaders of Israel, they came to Pilate and they said, we think that he should die. We don't have the authority to kill him. So will you do it for us? And Pilate didn't want to. He didn't think Jesus was guilty of anything. So his compromise was, we'll have him flogged. We'll have him beaten within an inch of his life. And maybe in the beating, the people will be satisfied by that justice. And they'll just drop this idea of crucifying him. So when Jesus was flogged, I believe it was a severe flogging. But if you've read anything about that, that's a whip with metal and glass and bone on the end of it. And it would have ripped open the skin. Muscles would have been exposed. Veins would have been exposed. Sometimes when you're flogged, your bowels would have been exposed. But the people weren't satisfied with that. So Pilate said, okay, he can be crucified. So by the time they strapped the cross to Jesus back and made him carry it up to Golgotha, he was already bleeding to death. The pain of the flogging, the pain of the crucifixion, the 
the professional soldiers who, by the way, if they got their job wrong, they lost their lives. The combination tells us that when it says that Jesus died, he was really dead. Another alternative theory to Jesus' resurrection is that the women that day got the wrong tomb. They found an empty tomb. It just wasn't Jesus' empty tomb. It was just some other tomb. But again, resurrection rumors were not good for any local government, Jewish or Roman. So if the women had gone to the wrong tomb that day, when the idea of Jesus' resurrection began to sprinkle around Jerusalem, the authorities could have easily gone to the right tomb where they had stationed guards to make sure no one stole the body, rolled away the stone, and produced Jesus' body. But again, they were given multiple opportunities to do this, and they never did because they got the right tomb. Another alternative is that the 500-plus people that we've already mentioned today, they hallucinated the whole thing. They just dreamed it up. Now, it is possible that 500 people would hallucinate at the same time. But what doctors tell us is there's no way that all 500 would hallucinate at the same time and also hallucinate the same thing at the same time. That they would all dream up this idea that Jesus had been raised from the dead. It's not possible. And finally, and this is the theory you'll find the most if you start talking to people about Jesus' resurrection today, it was all a conspiracy. It was a lie that the disciples started and they've been covering up ever since. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself a conspiracy theorist. I find myself somewhere in the middle. Like, for example, I don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I don't know what happened, but I don't believe that. On the other hand, I believe that Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. I do believe that it's possible that governments could be listening to me while I talk on my iPhone or Alexa. On the other hand, I don't believe that they actually are. So I'm in the middle. But the idea that Jesus' resurrection is just a conspiracy, it's, it's not that rational. Because for a conspiracy to be started and then to be covered up over time, especially for this long, somebody has to be gaining I mean, that's why a conspiracy happens because somebody wants wealth or has wealth and doesn't want to lose it. Or somebody wants power or has power and doesn't want to lose it. But the disciples of Jesus, by every worldly standard, their life got harder after Jesus' resurrection. None of them gained financially. In fact, what we see them is the opposite, doing the opposite. See, they had very normal jobs before they started following Jesus, but after their resurrection, whatever money they had, they brought it to church and they just said to the church, listen, you decide what uh, happens with it. We wanna make sure nobody who's poor here goes without food. So none of them become financially wealthy. Uh, they, they become politically powerful. Again, they were normal people before they started following Jesus. But after they started following Jesus, they're pushed to the margins of society. They're taken less credible, not just as a political group, but as human beings in general who have something to say. And then they start being persecuted. Hebrews tells us that sometimes when they would go to church, people would go to their homes and steal from them. Sometimes when they went to church, they would arrest them and throw them into jail. And all the disciples either ended up in jail and died or ended up in jail. Their life got harder after the resurrection, not easier. So you have to believe at some point, one of them would say, you know what, we're lying. 
We're lying. We made the whole thing up. I don't want to keep suffering for something that's not true. So a conspiracy doesn't really make that much sense. He appeared to Peter, to the 12, to 500. The next person on the list, the eyewitness, is James. This is the brother of Jesus. And in the scripture, we see James starting as a skeptic. He, he spoke sarcastically to his brother. At one point, James and Jesus' other brothers and Mary come to Jesus and they try to get him to tone it down a little bit. Stop being so Jesus-y and start being a little bit more normal. But later on in the scripture, James is called a pillar of the church. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was the mother church to all the other churches around the world. So how do you go from being a skeptic and wanting Jesus to tone it down to being a pillar of the very first church? Something significant happened to him, and it's that he saw his brother resurrected. And he stopped being his brother at that point and started being his Lord at that point. Then it says, in all the apostles. Remember, Jesus had concentric circles. There were three that he kept close, Peter, James, and John. Then the rest of the 12. Then outside of that, a group of 72. And all of these were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And then finally, the apostle Paul lists himself That's what he says in verse eight. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, what does he mean by one untimely born? See, everybody else on that list happened in the same order. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. He appeared to those people. Then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul spent the first half of his adult life trying to kill everyone else on that list. He wanted to throw Peter in jail and have him killed. The rest of the 12, the 500, anybody he could get his hands on that was claiming the name of Jesus, he wanted to hurt. One day on his way to hunt more Christians down, a bright light appears to him, the resurrected Jesus. And everything changes for Paul. He he no longer wants to kill people who follow Jesus. He's willing to be killed himself. He stops being the persecutor and he starts being the persecuted. Now, lots of people are willing to give their lives for their faith. Christianity is not the only religion that has martyrs. So just because you're willing to be a martyr doesn't mean that your faith is genuine or ultimately correct. But people are willing to die for their faith as long as they believe it's sincerely true. People are not willing to die for something they know to be a lie. So here's what we know about all of those eyewitnesses because almost every single one of them lost their lives because they followed Jesus. Here's what we know. They believed with everything in them that Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected. And they were willing to give their whole lives for that cause. The Apostle Paul starts this section by saying, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Paul says that's of first importance. So I want to ask you today, is it of first importance to you? Because my my friend on Friday at Barnes & Noble, she was wrong. This is what we should be talking about. This is the first thing that we should be talking about. 
Christ died, he was buried, he was raised. Is it of first importance to you? Is it getting first in importance of your time and your energy and your money and your heart and your mind? You know, Jesus tells us there's two groups of people in the room today. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are believers who believe that he's been raised and there are unbelievers who aren't sure or don't believe. I wonder which you are. Do you count yourself among the believers or do you count yourself as an unbeliever? Maybe today you came as an unbeliever, but something inside of you is saying, I I believe now. And I wanna give everyone the chance to make that transition. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I wanna give us all an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord today. So I brought a simple prayer with me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he was raised on the third day. I believe he has offered me eternal life. I believe and receive him into my life. Amen. If you want to count yourself among believers today, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to come to church for seven times. You don't have to stop doing this or start doing that. Just call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. So, If you've believed, and maybe you've believed for quite a while, I want you to pray this with us out loud as a reaffirmation of what you've already believed. And today, if you are becoming a believer, I want you to pray it out loud as a prayer to God who will hear you and save you. So let's all pray this together. Would you join me? I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he was raised on the third day. I believe he has offered me eternal life. I believe and receive him into my life. Amen. Scripture tells us that if you've believed today, some very powerful things have happened to you. You went from being far from God to near God. You went from being outside the family of God to an adopted son or daughter of God. You went from being an enemy to a friend. You went from a kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. Of Jesus. You went from holding your own sin and the guilt of that sin to being forgiven of your sin. Just like the women that day who discovered the empty tomb, they thought that was the end. And what they discovered was it was just the beginning. And if you're a believer today, this is just the beginning. Would you pray with me?